Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I'm your host and I'll be joined shortly by Luke Boggs as usual. On today's show, you're going to hear a discussion that we had back earlier this fall about a forum that the five Republican candidates for governor had in Milledgeville. Uh, We recorded this earlier this fall. We also recorded one about a a Democratic forum, Uh, but you're not going to hear about that one today. You might hear about that one in the future. Um, So we're just going to focus on the Republicans today. So we're going to jump right into that audio. But before we get started, I just wanted to send a thank you to WMVGAM 1450 in Milledgeville. They gave us permission to use the audio from the forum that they recorded when they hosted that earlier this fall. Um, So with that, I'm going to turn it over to me and Luke in the middle of our recording. Uh, Here's our discussion of the Republican gubernatorial forum. But with that, I think we will move on to the Republican forum. Republicans had a forum in Milledgeville where they also went through a variety of issues, a lot of ones that we've talked about before. There were five candidates at this forum, all five candidates that are currently announced for governor, Michael Williams, Casey Cagle, Hunter Hill, Brian Kemp, and Mark Erbach. They all participated in this forum that was hosted in Milledgeville. Um, So we'll just start with... Uh, one of the first questions that they started with first was, which was the question of immigration. Um, here are Hunter Hill, Casey Cagle, and Michael Williams talking about immigration. I, I appreciate the question. Um, I stand with Donald Trump. No sanctuary cities. If a city or a county uh, in this state were to claim itself as a sanctuary city, they wouldn't receive a nickel of funding from from my administration. Um, On the issue of allowing uh, illegals to get in-state tuition, I'm absolutely opposed to that. I'm also opposed to illegal immigrants uh, having driver's licenses. Um, Illegal immigration is undermining our country. We have federal laws, and they're in line with the federal constitution, and subordinate governments should never undermine federal law. It doesn't matter what the issue is. And we have for years allowed career politicians to encourage illegal immigration with our welfare policies, with our public education policies. And it's time that we stop it. If we're going, and we gotta work, we finally have a president that's thrown uh, the gauntlet down and said enough is enough. And I'm gonna be as governor, somebody that works very closely with this administration to make sure we don't continue to undermine our federal law on this issue. Thank you. Comments from Hunter Hill. <laughs> When we originally uh, passed the illegal immigration legislation, and a lot of the special interests uh, clearly did not want E-Verify, but we fought back, and we did something that I think is very unique and very uh, special for the state of Georgia that certainly is putting our state first and our citizens first. Uh, When we also passed outlawing sanctuary cities within our state, we realized we didn't go far enough because there were still those cities that could potentially do it and just break the law. So we said that we're going to set up a new system. So in order for you to get any state funding, you have to fill out and guarantee the state of Georgia that you're not becoming or being a part of a sanctuary city. Now, specific to the question, uh, yesterday, my office, we sent a letter out uh, to, to the auditor to fully investigate the city of Decatur. Uh, which we do not feel, based on some of the evidence in which we have seen, is complying with the law. 
And so we will hold every single city and county accountable to the law of the land. And I will promise you this, as governor, we will not back down or turn our eye towards allowing sanctuary cities to exist within our state. All right, comments there from Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Now Michael Williams up next. But before I answer the question, I have to point something out really quickly. Uh, underneath uh, Campaign Casey's conservative leadership, in the past 10 years, our state budget has gone from $15 billion to $25 billion. That's a $10 billion increase. $5 billion of that came from three tax increases. To answer your question directly, um, we would implement uh, Nine, I'm sorry, 812G, which would require uh, our counties to deputize several of their uh, agents, several of their deputies to become ICE agents so that we can have uh, basically deputized ICE agents out there deporting several of these illegal immigrants. Uh, we would defund any sanctuary city, sanctuary campus, anything like that that would receive no state funds. And also, I do not support um, state, state, state funds for in-state tuition. And also, I am the only candidate up here that's actually campaigned for, protested for, and fought for our president, President Trump. So we believe I'm going to support him and work with him in making sure that uh, we keep the legals out of our state, build the wall, and protect our Um So when we talked to Aisha Yacoub, when I did the deep dive on the DACA program, she told us about how the South, and, and Georgia in particular, is the worst place to be an undocumented immigrant in the country. And it was clear that none of the Republican candidates felt that way, or that if they did, they wanted it to be even worse. Um, and so they they wanted more punitive measures against sanctuary cities, against undocumented immigrants. They, you know, Williams is is the most aggressive on this issue. I think he is, you know, most out front of any of the Republican candidates about his desire to implement the 287G program, which is actually what. The, the code section that he meant when he talked about that program, there, you know, all these numbers get mixed up. But basically the, the program that he's talked about on the trail and that he was referencing in his response is a program that allows local law enforcement officials to be deputized to basically be ICE agents, immigration enforcement agents, and they rely on, on local resources and, and local officials to basically begin the deportation process. And the debate over sanctuary cities is about local officials basically resisting the pressure to be immigration enforcement officials to, to basically carry out the responsibility of the federal government. That's basically what sanctuary cities are trying to do um, in terms of standing by undocumented immigrants and in the immigrant community more broadly. The other thing I thought that was interesting about this exchange is that with the exception of Casey Cagle, who I don't think mentioned Donald Trump all day at this debate, they were really clear about hitching their wagon to Donald Trump. Um, and really quickly, I wanted to play some audio from some speeches that happened this week. They actually happened the day that we're recording, um, but it'll be a few days after by the time this airs. Um, Bob Corker talked to CNN today about how he feels about Donald Trump right now. And then Jeff Flake announced, er, the Bob Corker's Tennessee senator, Jeff Flake, Arizona senator, announced that he's not running for re-election in 2018. He also had some choice words for Donald Trump. So here are Bob Corker, and then followed following Corker is Jeff Flake. Unfortunately, I think world leaders are very aware that um, much of what he says is untrue. Uh, certainly people here are because these things are 
provably untrue. I mean, just they're just factually incorrect, and people know the difference. So I don't know why he lowers himself uh, to such a low, low standard and debases our country in the way that he does, but he does. Is the president of the United States a liar? The president uh, has great difficulty with the truth on many issues. In this century, a new phrase has entered the language to describe the accommodation of a new and undesirable order, that phrase being the new normal. But we must never adjust to the present coarseness of our national dialogue with the tone set at the top. We must never regard as normal the regular and casual undermining of our democratic norms and ideals. We must never meekly accept the daily sundering of our country. The personal attacks, the threats against principles, freedoms and institutions, the flagrant disregard for truth and decency, the reckless provocations, most often for the pettiest and most personal reasons, reasons having nothing whatsoever to do with the fortunes of the people that we have been elected to serve. None of these appalling features of our current politics should ever be regarded as normal. So, yeah, very contrasting uh, styles and endorsements of Donald Trump from Jeff Flake and Bob Corker this week versus Hunter Hill and Michael Williams um, and, and other Republican candidates from the forum in Milledgeville a couple of weeks back. Um, what did you think of this exchange on, on immigration and on the, the open embrace of Donald Trump here? I mean, I think it's a strategy that's unsurprising in a primary because pretty much it seems to be the Republican standard operating procedure that if you're going to actually win re-election that you have to suck up to Donald Trump and be his biggest fan and his biggest supporter, um, which I think is probably not true, but it hasn't really been tested yet um, beyond the special elections that we've had where it's been a pretty mixed bag. Um, the senators that you mentioned are both very notably retiring, and so they do not care anymore about their primary voters, and they are going to say whatever they want to say, whereas the Republicans are clearly operating under the assumption that they do not need to... Um, worry about the general election, that they only have to worry about winning the primary. Uh, And I think it is unsurprising that when the current Republican Party is pretty solidly convinced that the only way uh, that they are going to be able to win their primary is by going as far to the right on the immigration issue as they can, because that is what differentiated Donald Trump from the other Republicans uh, in his race with them. So I, I think that's very unsurprising, but very disappointing because not only is this an issue dealing with, you know, human lives and the way that we interact with just other people in our state and their positions are not very nuanced or very well thought out in my position, uh, in my opinion. Um, it's also just something that's going to hurt the state as a whole and hurt the people well beyond those that they uh, target with their, you know, just straight up bigotry. Yeah, in the the wake of President Trump's decision to rescind the DACA program um, on a six-month delay, there was a lot of momentum among Republicans to actually keep those DACA protections for immigrants. And so I was surprised that there was that none of the Republicans here in this race picked up that position that they all seem to be on the side of Donald Trump on this issue. Um, and it, it reminded me of the um, 
Chris Riley, who who works in Governor Deal's office, he was at a forum earlier this week with at Manuel's Tavern um, that was hosted by the AJC, and and he talked about how the Republicans should be careful about what they're saying as it relates to religious liberty in the context of the pitch that the state of Georgia is currently making to Amazon to get them to come to Atlanta with their new headquarters. The issue of immigration and and being welcoming to immigrants and being and and looking at immigration as sort of a workforce, a workforce development issue, filling skills gap issue is something that a lot of business minded Republicans have felt about immigration and and have been welcoming to immigrants for that reason. You know, both on on RIFRA and on immigration here, all of the candidates in this race are are taking a, a very different tact from your typical Chamber of Commerce Republican. Yeah, and I don't think that's surprising because, I mean, everyone in Republican circles that I've talked to are terrified of their voters. So I I think this is pretty typical of what we're going to see. And I will be fairly surprised if there's not a significant pivot after the primary from them. Because while while Donald Trump will not pivot (laughs) on his issues, I don't think this is something that these candidates are convinced is a good strategy for the entire campaign. Um, if And if they don't pivot, then I think that presents us with a really good opportunity. Um, and either way, we need to hold them accountable for holding these positions now. So the next topic that the Republican candidates tackled was the issue of transportation. Um, they were specifically asked both what their vision was for multimodal transportation that would include transit. Um, and then they were asked if they supported the new toll lanes that are springing up on a lot of highways in the metro Atlanta area. Um, so here's what Hunter Hill, Casey Cagle, and Brian Kemp had to say about that. Transportation is a foundational economic development issue for our state. It's also a constitutional uh, priority uh, that, that, that uh, our leaders should fund. Well, in the, in the 70s, when, when Atlanta and Georgia in, in particular was growing at a rapid rate, transportation was 15% of the budget. But career politicians have underfunded this core competency of government, and now they always come to you and ask for a tax increase to fund what should have been funded on the front end. That's why, as a constitutional conservative, we ought to prioritize transportation funding, and I am for larger investments in transportation because that is directly attributable to job growth and economic growth for our people. Um, so in terms of, of the specific question you had, I'm, I'm for funding transportation from the general fund. Um, and if we need to have uh, toll lanes, I'm for toll lanes on, on new, new uh, capacity. Uh, there are meaningful projects that we have discussed for years, but career politicians have not been willing to bring the resources to bear to get them done to move our state forward. Uh, that's why I have a commitment of, of doubling our investment in transportation in my first term without raising taxes. It's time we start cutting things that the government shouldn't be involved in and, and funding the, priorita- uh, the priorities of our state. Thank you. That's Hunter Hill, now Casey Cato. George is expected to grow by four and a half million people in less than 15 years. I think what the bridge collapse on I-85 showed us is that our infrastructure was built for about half the size of the population it is today. But it also showed us as well what you can do when you incentivize the private sector and government gets out of the way, you can build a bridge back in 45 days. And uh, 
We've got to get government out of the way more often, and we have to prioritize. And I will tell you that we need a clear 10-year strategic plan that is going to not only rank roads in terms of maintenance and bridges, but also in terms of congestion and capacity by which we need to build. We've got to utilize the asset in a more efficient way through that 10-year strategic plan, and we have to build the new corridors by which we're going to need. But we also have to add value to the consumers of our state. And with transit, absolutely. Transit is a big piece, a tool in the toolbox that is going to be critically important, just like we're dealing with Amazon and looking at them coming to our state, transit is a part of that decision as well. So we'll have not only a 10-year strategic plan, but we will invest in our infrastructure for the future. Now, Secretary Brian Kemp. Well, I'll just say when we talk about transportation or anything else, any big initiatives that we're going to do in the state of Georgia, my first question is going to be, how much is it going to cost and who's going to pay for it? You know, nobody likes congestion in Atlanta, but to relieve that congestion, what's it going to cost you? What's it going to cost somebody from Milledgeville or Baldwin County? And how much do you want to pay to relieve congestion in Atlanta? So I think we've got to think outside the box, use innovation. I mean, our world is changing. There's people now using self-driving autonomous vehicle trucks and other things. We need to think about more inland ports to get our uh, tractor trailers off of our interstates that are going through Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I think we, we definitely don't need another statewide tax increase to help pay for all this. So just know when we start talking about transportation that I will be asking how much is it going to cost and who's going to pay for it. And I do support a regional approach, which I think is working well around the state with local communities deciding Yes, we want to fund projects in our local community, and we're willing to pay for that. So I do support that. So, yeah, that was the, the candidates on transportation. Um, this is obviously one of the, the most pressing issues that the state faces, and I think that we haven't had a clear solution as it relates to this. Progress was made when the gas tax was raised, and you know, but that, as we talked about before, that was really only meant to meet the maintenance backlog in terms of getting funding up to the level it needed to be to just keep up regular maintenance. I think the interesting thing here is Hunter Hill argues two things that I think are going to be very difficult to do. He argues that he wants to eliminate the state income tax and he wants to double transportation funding in the state without raising taxes at all, even though we had to increase the gas tax to meet the maintenance backlog and not take on new projects that would, you know, limit or eliminate congestion in the Atlanta area. He doesn't specifically mention transit in his response. So, you know, it's kind of difficult to see what the vision is for transportation there for him. Um, he does, you know, repeatedly note that it's a constitutional responsibility, but but what it actually is that he would propose that he would do that doesn't you know, that limits congestion in Atlanta, it's not entirely clear. So yeah, that that was the big thing I noticed out of out of Hunter Hill's response. Yeah, on transportation, I'm surprised that they didn't, you know, hit that harder uh, and have like a bigger view of it because it's one of those things that like the solution to transit is definitely at least in my opinion, one that progressives have an upper hand on and Democrats have an upper hand on, generally speaking. And so I feel like that's one of those issues that like the Republicans would think they would need to work on and try to 
come up with a good answer for and they really just haven't and a lot of the stuff that they talk about really are half measures and so i'm really wondering where their the campaign's going to go on this and if this is like going to be their final answer um because i don't think it's going it should be just because i mean atlanta's traffic issues are something that we have to think about as a state as a whole but that's not the whole story either um because there's a lot of deep need for regional transit options in georgia and that's something we don't have yet and i think it's a real missed opportunity for uh both sides democratic and republican to not be talking about that need now, I think Brian Kemp pretty clearly played to a rural crowd in this, in his response. He talked about how regional transit, you know, tackling transit in a regional way was good, but he did sort of note that, you know, he was going to ask what it was going to cost and who was going to pay for it. And, and he was voicing the concerns or, or signaling to people in rural Georgia about their concern about their tax dollars going to Atlanta to to fix Atlanta's traffic problems and, and maybe not actually coming back to their local communities. Uh, but I think this does signal that he doesn't see a big state-led role for the state in terms of fixing Atlanta's congestion problem. While Casey Cagle mentioned transit and David Speaker David Ralston at a committee meeting earlier this summer talked about how he thought it would be a good idea for the state to consider some sort of dedicated funding source to transit. So if Kemp was to win the primary and, and ultimately become governor, he would be a big direction shift from where I think Republicans in Atlanta were headed as it relates to, to transit into the state playing a greater role in financially supporting the development of transit. Probably the biggest transit idea that, that came out of this was uh, Mark Erbach's proposal. He said that he has a 200-year a plan to develop bullet trains and have them run down the fall line cities and, and make a, uh, Atlanta, Macon, Augusta, Columbus, and, and a train down to the, the islands in southeast Georgia on the coast. Um, Luke, he's a man after your heart, regional transit train. Yeah. Well, I mean, my parents would be really happy because I could ride a train and go see them. And it'd be a lot easier uh, to get around. But uh, from that little list that you just mentioned, I did not hear the brain train. And so I'm against it. Train. Yes, because <laughs> I need the brain train. <laughs> brain train or bust. Next up for the candidates was healthcare. Here's Casey Cagle, Michael Williams, and Hunter Hill on healthcare. All right, again, Casey Cagle. There's no first question time. that we have a rural healthcare crisis across our state, um, and sadly enough, there are not enough individuals uh, to fill up some of the hospitals there that are paying. Uh, a lot of uh, this is uh, attributed to the fact that uh, you have the Affordable Care Act, which needs to be repealed and replaced. We've seen, uh, sadly enough, our premiums not only double, but we've also seen our uh, no, 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 I thought that was my timer. I'm sorry. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> but, um, 
not only have we seen premiums double, but we've also seen our deductibles go off the chart as well. You have to look at, sadly enough, we only have a minute to answer your question. So it's difficult to go through a, a specific long list of things, but you have to look at primary care um, along with urgent care and emergency care, focusing our efforts with a delivery model that ultimately allows our consumers in Georgia to purchase the insurance that they need at a price by which they can afford. And we have to segment out those high-risk individuals and do creative things looking at making certain that we're bringing down waivers to allow us to create the kind of health care system that Georgia needs, not what California needs, not a one-size-fits-all, but what Georgia's needs. I'm going to be a governor that's not only going to be committed to solving the rural health care crisis, but also addressing the issue. All right, it's Casey Cagle now, Michael Williams. I know if I had like two more seconds or three more seconds because of... I don't know, if we need to go, it actually follows the rules, but... Uh, <laughs> um, Okay, the question about health care. Uh, yeah, obviously, we need to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. That, that needs to be a priority of our federal government. That was one reason that uh, I campaigned so hard for and fought for our president, uh, President Trump, to get elected. Also, in addition to the stats that, that you said, 40% of uh, people in rural Georgia don't have access to primary care physicians. I believe there is an army of nurses out there that are trained and ready to go and act as primary care providers. We just need to unleash them by getting rid of some of the regulation that uh, currently ties them down. So once we uh, allow the nurses to go up there and help us, I think it will help to alleviate some of the problems we have here in rural Georgia as far as access to health care. Now comments from Hunter Hill. Health care has been ruined in this country because of career politicians on both sides of the aisle, and it's been a consistent drift. I call it, it's a liberal drift left no matter who's been in charge. Uh, the government puts unfunded mandates on hospitals and then when the government then pays for that care they do it at 76 cents on the dollar so it's madness it's all government created and that's the main thing that people need to understand and the course the obama administration put their put their pedal on the gas uh, with obamacare which was the most unconstitutional law this nation has ever seen um, and it, it it goes against personal responsibility it goes against free market principles we have incredible opportunities in our state. When you look at Emory, when you look at the Medical College of Georgia, when you look at our in incredible veteran community in this state, there are so many opportunities for us to lead the country in healthcare innovation. Um, and so that's what, that's what we need to do is bring in more free market uh, opportunities into healthcare and allow the, the, the market to solve this problem and, and get the government out of the way because that is what has caused the problem and the crisis in healthcare to begin with was the government getting involved. Yeah, so that was Cagle, Williams, and Hill on healthcare. Um, the thing that stood out to me was was the response from Hunter Hill here. He he leaned really heavily on free market principles, and my issue with that is it's not that necessarily the free market in healthcare is is automatically a bad thing, but when he leans on them and argues the point in this way. He doesn't outline any kind of policy by which a Governor Hill could be held accountable to. There's no description of what the free market is going to do to healthcare in Georgia. So he sort of punts the issue to the market and basically says, I don't want government involved in it at all. Let's give it to the market and alleges that that would be better and it would fix all these problems. But there's nothing by which you could say if you're evaluating his his case on this, there's nothing that you can point to to say 
you know, how how his position would make Georgia healthcare better. How would it improve access to care in rural areas? Um, I just I don't find it all that convincing because he doesn't get to any sort of detail about what a healthcare what the healthcare environment in a Governor Hill administration would look like. Yeah, I mean, and this really goes for all of them, at least in my opinion, is that this is a really significant, huge problem in the state, and they have no solution for it. So, you know, for example, I mean, the Democrats, we have a solution as Medicaid expansion. Now, you can argue that that's not a great solution. You can argue that there's other things that we should do, but that's just frankly not what they're doing because at the end of the day, this is one of those problems that just requires like significant investment from the state or from the federal government or some combination of the bo- uh, both. And the Republicans are just not willing to have that conversation. And so they you know, continuously rely on their very stale talking point that Obamacare is the root of all problems. And if we get rid of Obamacare, then, you know, unicorns and sunshine will reign once again and all the hospitals in Georgia will be overflowing with money and won't close down. And that's just frankly not the case. So really, I can't listen to any of these clips without just getting incredibly frustrated that this is the narrative that we're still stuck in. And, it's it's one of those situations that I just feel like if any of these candidates win, then this is the conversation we're going to have for their entire time in the governor's mansion, that the whole time they're just going to be ignoring the problem and blaming it on Washington when there are things that are in the state's power to do that would significantly improve the situation for everyday Georgians and the fact that they are unwilling to have that conversation, even in a conservative, you know, viewpoint is just beyond frustration for me. Yeah. I think this is where Michael Williams was most clearly out of his policy depth. I mean, he alluded to the army of nurses that could go provide primary care in all of rural Georgia. Um, I don't, that just, that just doesn't even begin to, approach the full scope of the problem and why we have a crumbling healthcare system in rural Georgia. Um, and so it was just, it's just very clear that this isn't something that he understands at all. Um, I think Casey Cagle gave a decent answer. Um, it's clear to me that the two candidates that are most talented in, in policy in this race are Stacey Abrams and Casey Cagle. I think Evans is good at it. And I think Hunter Hill has very clear ideas about what he wants to do, but I don't think when you piece it all together into a full agenda that, that it's going to be something that's workable. But Cagle alluded to the state drawing down Medicaid waivers. He, he's the only candidate to do that so far um, and to really approach the things that a governor could do as it relates to the state's Medicaid program and, and how that contributes to some of the issues around rural health care. And he did allude to a, a common Republican idea of using high risk pools to segment out the most unhealthy people in the state um, and pay for them in sort of a separate mechanism and then allow premiums and, and health care costs for other people when the sickest people leave the pool, allowing those costs to decrease for other people. I don't I mean, there are other places where where Cagle has discussed this issue further and, and I would have differences with him on on whether or not the state should require somebody to be on that somebody that is on the Medicaid program to also be working. Um I think a lot of those 
types of policies that are going to roll back or make it harder for people to access Medicaid coverage in Georgia might be a part of Casey Cagle's vision for, for health care waivers in the state. But I think he at least demonstrated some understanding of this issue and, and has kind of thought through what a, what a conservative vision and what a conservative governor would do in this situation in the way that, you know, all of the other candidates, I think, offered up half measures on the scale that we've seen of the the rural hospital tax credit that we've complained about on this show before. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you that that I didn't see anything convincing on this issue to make me think that that anybody except maybe Casey Cagle could could put a good faith effort forward to actually improve health care access in rural Georgia. Yeah, and unfortunately there's no other way to put it, so pardon my French, but it's still bullshit that he, you know, is shoveling down our throats because at the end of the day, their policy decisions are still going to lead to people dying in this state because they don't have access to health care or they believe they cannot afford health care. And so they don't go to the doctor. And because of that, they will die. And that is something I think is not an exaggeration that needs to be articulated in a way that resonates with the voters that aren't experiencing a lack of access to health care uh, in a real way because, you know, I currently don't have health insurance. And so I, I actually understand what it's like to have a medical problem and not be able to get it addressed due to the lack of medical insurance. And so it is a frustrating thing for them to remain in this la-la land where health care would be great if they just got rid of Obamacare and that's the full and only solution needed to address health care access in the state. And it's key to the the rural development issues, too. I mean, the rural economic development stuff. Some credit to Brian Kemp here. He did connect the healthcare issue to the broader economic development problem in rural Georgia. But he basically said that we can solve the whole problem by bringing high-speed internet and telemedicine to rural Georgia. And that still is not, it doesn't deal with whether or not people have a mechanism for paying for their health care. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you in the frustration that, um, you know, I they really need to take this issue more seriously. And and I think voters in rural Georgia need to look at Republicans who are making these big claims about how much they care about rural Georgia and how they're going to be a voice for rural Georgia and say, but are you going to do things that actually make economic issues and issues of health care better? And if so, what are those things? And and I think that voters are smart and they have a BS detector and and can tell when people are making things up. Um, and and I think that I think that we all need to get past this, whether or not you agree or disagree with Obamacare. Um, that is not a a roadmap to a solution anymore. It's it's a law that is probably still on the books, and we need to get serious about about addressing this issue in a real way on the state level. Um, so the last issue that we'll touch on that the Republicans discussed was the issue of education. Um, this was a, a question that actually came up in the second part of the forum, the the formal forum where some journalists were asking some questions. Um, they didn't actually ask about education at all, and it was an audience question that uh, referred the candidates to a discussion about education. So here are Brian Kemp, Hunter Hill, and Casey Cagle on education in Georgia. Brian Kemp. Well, again, I would I would go back to my question that I would ask is, you know, how much is it going to cost and who's going to pay for it? And, you know, that that's the question I think we, we have to continue to ask. I mean, what is the number that we need uh, from some people 
to fully fund education. I don't know that the funding formula has ever been fully funded. So the people that are saying that, uh, I wonder what the real number would be. Uh, my, my thing is going to be to look at mandates that we're putting down on our local systems, especially our teachers and the requirements that they have on them and the, the classrooms, the amount of tests that we have, uh, to try to free some of that up, to also use innovation and choice where we need it so we can give flexibility and create competition uh, so that we have more of a private sector model. Uh, not saying that we're going to do away with the great public institution or public schools that we have in our, in our communities, but for those where there's failing schools, we need to have other options for our parents, for our children, and for our businesses because that's certainly a critical issue for our state and for workforce development as we move forward. That's Brian Kemp, now Hunter Hill. So we are constitutionally mandated to provide an adequate education to every child in this state. And we haven't done a good job of it. We just simply haven't. And career politicians, of course, created this mechanism of how we fund education. And the bottom line is I'm for local control, just like all of you, and there's nothing more local than that parent of that child having choices and options about how to send that child and where to send that child to school. That's why I want to infuse free market principle of competition into K-12 education by empowering families to have the resources that are yours anyway to have choices and options about where you send your child um, to, to, to get educated. The reality is career politicians always bring a government-centric solution to this problem of education and uh, we've got to infuse the free market principle of competition and have choices and options. And I believe that will elevate all boats in public education. Um, and, that, and that's what we've got to do. And it's the one, you know, as we talk about the pursuit of happiness, education is that first rung on the ladder to allowing our citizenry to pursue their happiness. So it's a constitutional foundational thing. We need to stop wasting our money and, and, and pouring it behind the same old, same old. And we need to infuse these innovative ideas into K-12. Thank you. That's Hunter Hill. Now, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Education is the great equalizer. No matter where you come from, no matter what your circumstances, you can gain the knowledge and skills that you need to be self-sufficient. It is what the American dream is all about. And there's no greater calling in terms of our funding process at the state level is to ensure that we have adequate funding for education and we put it as our highest priority. That's why 50% of all the resources in the state are spent on education. We have to abandon a one-size-fits-all that says every single kid needs to go off to college and get a four-year degree and come out with $150,000 worth of debt making a job, if they're lucky, at $30,000 a year. We've got a lot of individuals, we've got a lot of jobs in this state uh, that require skills. We need more opportunities and that's why I fought so hard for college and career academies and our charter systems across the state that give more options and more choices to individual parents but also students. Right here in Baldwin County, they've adopted both of those initiatives. They've moved their graduation rate from 62% to 82%. That's success. And we're proud of you for doing it. All right. So that was our, our last group of candidates talking about education. Um, the thing that stuck out to me, I think this is the portion of the forum where Casey Cagle was strongest from a policy perspective. He talked about college and career academies. These are the, you know, changing the curriculum to get around or to get to the idea that you're not just preparing kids to go to college. Kids might also get out of high school and go right into a trade 
or go right into a career. And so if you can give them the skills that they need to be successful in a career when they're 19 years old, especially in rural Georgia where, you know, that may be a better option for them in terms of making a living right out of high school um, that, you know, could potentially be a good thing. These are the college and career academies are an evidence-based education initiative. They're identified by the What Works Clearinghouse at the Department of Education in Washington as being successful. Um, And so I was impressed with just the policy substance of that answer. Um, I thought it was one of the better answers of the night that was on, on par with where the Democrats are in terms of their understanding of of a basic policy issue that the state addresses. I think that's not too surprising because it's been a very long time strategy for Republicans, not just in this state, but like all over uh, the country to try to get well versed on education issues. Uh, You know, it's infamously the reason why people say Jeb Bush won his uh, gubernatorial bid back in the day. So I'm not surprised that they're doing well on this. And also, as we mentioned, it was a big deal for uh, Governor Deal as well. So I'm, again, just I'm not surprised that they're doing well on this issue when they're struggling on the other ones because it's just the one that they most naturally do better on. And I also am not surprised that Cagle did well since he wrote a whole book on it. So, you know, it'd be kind of embarrassing if he didn't. So, yeah, on that front, I I think there's nothing to see here because at the end of the day, people like you and I and other Democrats are going to be frustrated by what they do because it's not going to be enough. And it's going to be more half measures, at least from what we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think when you look at the responses from from everybody except Cagle, there was a lot left to, you know, there was a lot of detail that was not covered. This this broad issue about school choice, it it's sort of similar to Hunter Hill's case on free market principles and healthcare. If you basically try to get government out of the way and and send money to parents and let them decide what they want to do with their kids' education, there is no accountability for the government officials if you know if the quality of education for all children is not up to par i mean there there just isn't accountability if you have this fundamental shift towards 100% school choice and and letting public education dollars go to to private schools um stacy abrams noted in the in the democratic forum that the private schools are still allowed to discriminate again in this state um, and, and that's an issue around the the student scholarship organizations and, and some of the other policies that would divert public funds to private schools is that there just isn't accountability there to ensure that all kids are going to get the quality education that they need. And then it completely disconnects the state from the economic development portion of workforce development, skills development, all of that. You know, if you just get government out of education, then you have no mechanisms by which to pursue those goals. Um, and so it's never really I've never really understood the these sort of vague proposals around choice and competition. And, and nobody ever really has a good explanation of what that will fix and what it will what problems it are will currently. fix people not being able to make money off education that's the that's the problem that they're trying to address and that's why you're unsatisfied by their answers and then, and i i thought williams stood out for 
or also not a very good answer on this. He he talked about parents and choice a little bit. And then sort of out of nowhere, he just said the state should elect state school board members instead of the governor being allowed to appoint them and didn't explain at all why that was important, why it matters, what it's going to fix. I mean, this was just an example to me of the choice and competition stuff just feels like rhetoric. And, and if, if that is their full sum understanding of of issues around education in the state of Georgia, they're not going to address the problems that that we have that we've talked about before. Um, I'm I'm big, slowly becoming convinced that Michael Williams just needs to end every single one of his answers with the Dean scream. <laughs> um, and uh, special shout out to Mark Erbach here. He said that education is bankrupting the government. So great. I don't think funding education is a priority for Mark Erbach. But um, trains are. <laughs> yeah, but get that get that train down to Macon. So yeah, that that kind of is is all the all the high points from these discussions. Um did you have any closing thoughts that you just wanted to wrap on on a comparison of these two forums or or across all these topics, what you thought about either the Democrats or the Republicans? I think it's just very fascinating to me and obviously you know this is the uh always needed disclaimer we're both democrats but like the policy conversation that stacy evans and stacy abrams had was so much deeper and so much more fleshed out than the republicans and i think part of that has to do with undeniably both of these candidates are like the best the democratic party has to offer whereas the republicans kind of have a mixed bag where casey cagle's like definitely a strong candidate uh you know regardless of how much i disagree with him he's a a very strong candidate and uh hunter hill and uh brian kemp for their own reasons definitely could be considered strong candidates but like they have a couple whack jobs up there <laughs> as well. And so like when you're in that situation, like it's a lot harder to have that like policy in-depth conversation that you want to have. But even even the candidates that I compliment a little bit more were very willing to go into the uh, the I mean the stale talking points that uh, frustrate people like you and me so much. Um I think that is not irrelevant to the fact that they are a member of the majority party and they're trying to hold on to a gig that's been working for them and that they're, you know, Cagle especially is just kind of following the usual boring playbook. So I say all that to say, I think a big takeaway from listening to both of these forums and applying that to what we've seen over the past two years is that the Democrats are going to have to find a way to break through and be more interesting in the way that Trump was able to be more interesting for his campaign. And I'm not saying they need to go out and start attacking people on Twitter or being racist or anything like that. But like, I think the only way that we're going to actually have a race where the Democrats have a chance is if we hold the Republicans accountable, but also take advantage of the fact that they want to run a stale, boring, normal Republican primary and use that to our advantage, especially once our primary is over and their primary is over and we're in, you know, general election mode. We're going to have to find a way to actually get in the news and make 
uh, a majority of the people in Georgia know what's going on with this race because, and this is how how it always goes down, but it's just the media is going to pay more attention to whoever comes out of that Republican primary because it will look more likely that they're going to be our next governor. And so I think that is something that the Democrats are going to have to think about in this race is how can they get their message out and be covered in the way they deserve. I'm wondering when the Republicans are going to decide they want to get behind a candidate that's actually going to get things done. Um, I think that broadly in the policy discussion, in the way that Republican candidates approach politics, there's just a lot of like virtue signaling and, and I'm your guy and, and I'm going to stick it to the Democrats or, or non-white people, or I'm, I'm going to screw somebody over when I'm elected for you. And when you look to Washington, it's clear that that strategy hasn't gotten them very far. They haven't accomplished much. And I think that even for some of the more serious candidates who have policies like eliminating the state income tax, it, to me, they haven't gotten to a point where they explain why this would make somebody's life better and why electing a Republican is going to make the lives of Republicans better. Um, and I don't know if it's just because Republican voters like having somebody go to Atlanta or Washington and stick it to somebody that they don't like or what, but I don't, I wonder if, if Republican voters are ever going to, going to kind of change their tune a little bit and start looking to somebody to actually implement ideas that they want to see happen. Um, and I think with the exception of Casey Cagle, who may have positions that aren't going to be super enthusiastic, are not going to draw a lot of enthusiasm out of, out of more conservative Republicans. Um, I don't know that at least right now for the rest of the candidates out there that they're going to go to Atlanta and have a lot of success. I, I would think that it wouldn't surprise me if, if you saw Hunter Hill, Brian Kemp, or Michael Williams get elected and the most powerful Republican in Atlanta becomes David Ralston. Um, I think that's true either way though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Casey Cagle and David Ralston would probably work pretty well together. Um, since they've been having to do that for quite some time now. Yeah, quite some time. Um, but I, I think that the, the grownups in the room, not to say that, not to say that any of the three are immature, but, but the people who have the governing experience, the people that I think are ready to, to push an agenda through, if you have Kemp Hiller Williams win the race, Ralston is the guy who's going to, who's going to get that stuff done in Atlanta. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely true. And that also, the flip side is if the Democrats win, Ralston is going to be pretty critical to our success or failure as a state. I think so. I think you could, uh, Ralston, I think, is the most interesting person to watch in the governor's race, actually, (laughs) even though he's not in it. Um, So be interesting to look forward to. But with that, I think we're going to leave this week's episode there. So we will talk to you all next week. Take care, y'all. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.